Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. This fine Sunday morning. Let's begin by praying together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you have been so gracious and kind to us. When the human race fell, you decided that you would grace us out. You so loved us that you gave us your one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, for our sins. You raise him from the dead three days later on the third day so that whoever simply believes in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and his death and resurrection will never perish but has eternal life. Father, today we would also ask that we would be able to concentrate and participate in the goings-on this morning in our worship. We ask that for the song service this morning, Father, for the word being preached, the fellowship with one another, the giving. We ask this, Father, also as we leave today, that we would bring with us the uh, enrichment and the feeding of God's word, of your word, so that we could bring it and share with others. We also pray for the persecuted church this morning, Father, around the world, and for any of the saints that are going through a very difficult time. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. I want to thank the singers this morning for leading us in song. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Tell you what, the older I get, the more I need to lean. Especially all that's going on in this old world. All right, good morning again, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church. Well, today we'll be continuing in chapter 14 of the book of 1 Corinthians. But now I'd like to first give you a few announcements as we start today. Every month we feature a missionary organization. This month, we're featuring Grace Prison Ministries. Grace Prison Ministries. They work to change the lives of prisoners. They go into the prisons and they change lives through preaching the gospel, through evangelism, and then teaching people a sound Bible teaching. The leader of that organization is Keith Ian Starling, and he is going to come. He's, I'm laughing because I like my English on this one. Keith Ian is planning to visit us in one week's. No, one week. It's next Sunday. Anyway, ah, Keith is planning to visit us next Sunday, okay, February 16th. I'm really excited about seeing him again. Also, uh, he'll probably talk about this next week when he visits us. In April, his ha- he'll be having a conference at a women's prison in Nashville. So please keep all of that in prayer. Um, just, just FYI, we will not be having an outreach session today. We'll pick that up again next, next uh, month. Grace Prisons Ministries is www.graceprisons.org. Again, please keep our youth ministry in prayer. Um, we are we are uh, we have a Bible class, a Christian club after school at the, at the public school down the street, Deerfield Beach Middle School. We're also beginning a youth ministry here, a youth group meeting. It's going to meet every Wednesday at six thirty. So please keep all that in prayer. We have Bibles too in the back of the. Okay, in the back, in case anyone needs one, just raise your hand. We want to make sure everybody has a Bible as we begin today in the teaching portion of the service. All right, the title of today's message comes from 1 Corinthians 14, and it's this, The Secrets of His Heart. The Secrets of His Heart. We'll see more about who He is, this person, and also what it's talking about, the Word of God, when it's talking about the secrets of His heart. We all have secrets in our heart things that only God knows, not even ourselves sometimes, things that are going on that we aren't aware of. And that's especially true of the unbeliever, and that's what this is going to be about. Now, 
We're in 1 Corinthians 14. It's the last of three chapters on the subject of spiritual gifts. It can get a little rough at times trudging through this. I know that. Especially when we realize that one of the gifts, the gift of tongues, is not in existence anymore. You saw that, that its purpose was to be as a warning, as a sign to the Jewish people of that day, that there was destruction right around the corner, and they needed to understand and believe that Jesus is their Messiah in order to avoid that. Most of them didn't. Okay, And then in 70 AD, those of you that know that history, uh, an army, a Roman army, um, came into Jerusalem, destroyed the city, took the people in exile, and from there forward, the Jewish people have been scattered around this, this world. So that's the context here. But again, the gift of tongues no longer operates in the church today. And as a matter of fact, the gift of prophecy, the way it was practiced then, is different from what we have today. Because now we have the whole Bible. And they didn't. So they needed people to be able to speak God's word that hadn't been written down yet. Now we have it written down. So now the gift that God has given us now, among other things, is the gifts of pastor-teacher to communicate the word and evangelist to bring the gospel to the unbeliever. So because of that, and because of the fact that Paul's dealing with some particulars that were going on at the Corinthian church, um, this can get tough sledding at times, and I understand that. may even break this up a little bit today. This would be an audible, you know what I'm, audible? It's not in my notes, but I might just do something to kind of break things up a little bit. In any event, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21. I want you to picture this. We're, we're in Corinth. It's the first century. It's a teeming, bustling city. People from all different parts of the Roman Empire crisscrossed there because it was a place in which they could, it was a narrow, narrow isthmus, they call it, a spot of land between two big oceans. Well, not oceans, but seas. And um, there would be lots of travel back and forth. They even brought ships across the isthmus um, so that they could avoid some of the treacherous waters in the southern, behind beyond southern Greece. And so this was a bustling place and um, lots of false religions. We saw that, pagan religions. There were Jewish people there. In fact, if you would read Acts 18, you would see that this church was founded by Jewish people. Okay, The head of the synagogue became a believer in Christ. When he left the synagogue, the next head of the synagogue also became a believer in Christ. And as a matter of fact, the church was right next door to the synagogue. So that's a context to understand that there was a close tie between the Christians and the Jewish people here. Many of the, probably the majority of the early, early church in Corinth was Jewish. All right, so you need to understand that when we see what's happening in in chapter 14, where now the people of Corinth that became believers, unfortunately, they were enamored of the wrong gifts. They were enamored with something called tongues which was really, you know, a miraculous thing because people would speak in languages they didn't understand. And people got a big kick out of that. You know, the other thing about it was that it didn't really challenge anybody. I mean, if you're walking in on a service and people are speaking in strange tongues that you don't understand, where's the conviction, right? Where's the challenge? There's nothing. It's just, let's listen to these guys for a while. Okay, so because of those kind of things and because they were immature, they really valued that gift of tongues, all right? And they, they didn't really pay much attention to the things that were, you know, more, more built, built and designed to teach them. You know, I don't want to have to be challenged by God's word. I'd rather just watch the spectacle. Now, even though the gift of tongues doesn't exist anymore, 
<laughs> We've got plenty of things in Christianity that will give people that now. I don't want to hear teaching. I got to concentrate. It might have me change things in my heart. I would rather just be hmm, entertained. Okay, so even though tongues doesn't exist today, that impulse in people does. And unfortunately, it, there's plenty of places you can go where that itch will be scratched. Okay, so that's, that's, that's a little bit of the uh, application for today. But anyway, let's read the passage. 1 Corinthians 14, 21. In the law, it is written, we saw this last week in Isaiah, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people, this people of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. And even so, even after this warning sign of tongues, and when Isaiah was writing, he was writing because the Assyrian army was about to come on in and wipe out the Jewish people and bring them into exile. Okay? They wouldn't listen. And that happened. That's a historical fact. But there's something going on in Paul's day, hundreds of years later, where the, again, once again, the Jewish people are about to be in a place of destruction. They needed to be warned. There would be this judgment right around the corner. And they needed to be warned. But it says, just as in, the, in Isaiah's day, so too in Paul's day. Even so, even with this amazing warning in this gift of tongues outside the church now, unbelieving Jewish people, even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe. Tongues are, were not assigned to believers. They were assigned to who? To unbelievers. Unbelievers. That was the main, even then, the main function of the gift of tongues was not inside the church, but it was outside the church as a warning sign to Jewish unbelievers. Okay. Then he goes on and he says, prophecy is not for to unbelievers. By the, by the way, that phrase for a sign, not in the Greek, throw it away because the, the, the believers don't need a sign. Right? We don't need a miraculous sign every week in order for us to understand that God is who he is and Christ is who he is. No, we don't, right? So that's not for believers. That's, that was for unbelievers. But prophecy, speaking forth the word of God, is for those who believe. Now watch this. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together. Now, no longer are we thinking outside and a sign for the unbeliever. Now we're going into the church and it's saying the whole church is assembling together. Now, if in there all speak in tongues, he's exaggerating because that wasn't happening. But if everybody in the church spoke in tongues, in other words, take this to its extreme. If you think tongues are the be all and end all. Now, let's think about it. Let's pretend everybody is speaking in tongues. He says, if ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say, that you were mad, not angry, but off your rocker. Right? That would be, believe me, I don't know if any of you have had experience, I have, of going to a tongue service, Pentecostal, charismatic, and you're on the outside, look, you have no idea, you're stepping in, you have no idea what to expect, and all of a sudden you're hearing this little, and all of a sudden everybody's going off on this, I don't know what they're doing, it's pretty scary, and I want out of here. These people are nuts. The same thing in the first century. Now, that's tongues in the church, not needed. Paul would say, you know what, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my, with my mind that people will understand rather than 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody understands. Okay. So, that, that, now that's, so in verse 24, he's shifting from tongues to prophecy. If all prophecy 
Everybody is, is bringing forth part of the word of God. Again, an exaggeration because not everybody had that gift. But he said, let's pretend that they do. If everybody's prophesying, bringing forth the word of God, and then an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, what happens? He's hearing God's word. We're going to talk more about what he'd be hearing. Okay? He's convicted by all of the prophecy. He's called to account by all of the prophecy. In other words, there's power and meaning in the word of God preached in the language of the person hearing it. All right. Then what happens? The secrets of his heart are disclosed. That's the title of today's message. They're disclosed. Okay. We'll say, we'll see to who and, not, and who they're not disclosed to, but they're disclosed in any event. And so he, the unbeliever who is in the presence of the word of God, he understands now that he's a sinner. He's called to account that he's accountable to God. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. He's beginning to see something about himself that he didn't see before. He will fall on his face and worship God. By the way, that's a first, that's a, that day and age, that was a means by which people would worship and, and, and honor God. Doesn't mean today that if somebody doesn't worship by falling on their face, that they're not saved. Some people get goofy about that. Nothing to do with it. It was a custom in that time. In any event, declaring that God is certainly among you. Tongues in the church would not result in the unbeliever saying, wow, God is certainly among you. He's going to say, wow, you guys are nuts. But if, if they're preaching the word of God, and in particular, the word that that person needed to hear, ah, then he'll be convicted. He'll be accountable to God. He understands there are secrets of his heart that are now being disclosed. And, and then he'll worship God, and he'll realize that this place that he's been to today, God is certainly there. Okay. Well, as we've seen, we've read the passage again today. Here in verses 21 to 25, Paul's talking about tongues and prophecy and its impact on unbelievers. Now, for all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, chapter 14, verses 1 to 20, and then again after 25, it's all about the spiritual gifts and their effect on believers. So this is an offshoot. This is an exception to the rule. He's taking five verses to talk about the unbeliever. Now, as I mentioned last week, I briefly mentioned this. If you look at these five verses, the last three, they appear to contradict the first two. I'll go into this a little bit. Verses 23 to 25, they sure look like, at first glance, they're contradicting verses 21 to 22. This is what I mean. Look at verse 22 again. So tongues are first sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. While prophecy is for a sign, not, sorry, is no sign. Prophecy is not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Now, if you look at verse 22, doesn't it say that tongues are for unbelievers? Doesn't it say prophecy is for believers? Okay. Yet, look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, there's tongues again. And, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? Hmm. Verse 22, tongues are for unbelievers. Verse 23, tongues have no value for unbelievers. See the, see the seeming contradiction here? We're going to clear this up. But wait a minute. That, Paul, Paul, you're having a bad day? You just said that tongues are for unbelievers, and now you're saying in the very next verse that they're not. What's going on, Paul? 
And he says, verses 24 to 25, he says, prophecy has great value for unbelievers after just saying prophecies for believers. Maybe Paul's been speaking in tongues too much. He's a little, he's a little mad here. Well, is that true? Was Paul confused? This is what people, people believe me. I read all kinds of commentaries and so forth. There are actually people who say, you know, Paul was, was a little confused. He was a little, he was getting ahead of himself. He was really excited. And somehow he blurted this thing out and they had written down and then he had to correct it later. Well, he didn't blurt something out that he had to correct later. These kind of theories that people come up with, I don't know where they come up with them, but the fact of the matter is so often people make this mistake. Even learned people, even believers, they pretend, not even pretend, they think, they treat the passage as if, you know what, Paul's a human being writing this. So he can make mistakes and he can do this. Unfortunately, they take no account of what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, which is, all scripture is God breathed. Theopanustus in the Greek. God breathed. Just say, well, you know, it's First Corinthians, there's some stuff there that Paul's all his fault and not really God. What's, what does it say? What scriptures God breathed? All of it. Everything in the Bible, all the New Testament. It's all God breathed. In other words, God the Holy Spirit inspired the human writer to write what he wrote. Sorry, ladies, it was all men, so it's he, but, but God the Holy Spirit inspired that. They didn't come up with it on their own. It wasn't a matter of their own interpretation. It was a matter of God's giving the words to write on the paper to the human writers. Please turn to 2 Peter 1.20. There's a little bit of a digression here, but it's so important. It's so important in this day and age where people treat the word of God as if it's like any other book. They break it down and they build it up again. They, they want to say that certain things weren't really written by, you know, they go through Isaiah and they say, well, part of it's written by Isaiah and part of it's this and that. All these geniuses out there that have, that have nothing better to do than to try to pick apart the word of God and put it together again on their terms. No, we're not supposed to figure the word of God out, you know. Word of God is designed to figure us out. It's designed to show us what's going on about us and why we are fallen and why we need a Savior and, and how many things God has graced us out with. It's all about Him. Not about our brains trying to, you know, figure things out. Numerology, people try to use numbers to figure out the Bible and all of that. Why? Because it's all God-breathed. It's all, Scripture is not a matter of, look at Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this what? First of all, when somebody becomes a believer in Christ, one of the things that they need to know at the very outset is that this book is written by God himself. If they don't understand that, if they're not taught that, then they're going to they're gonna be really held back. They're going to have misconceptions, and they're not going to really be, be accountable to God in his word. So, so in other words, after you hear the gospel... Right, And after you're taught that Jesus is, is God incarnate, one of the things that should be told to the new believers right away is that all Scripture is God-breathed. This is a supernatural book. God inspired the writers all right, to write what they did. Now, yes, it was the language they were writing in so that 
This thing's jumping around on me. Um, so that, yeah, it was written in Hebrew, some of it, because that's what the people spoke. And then it was written in Greek, the New Testament, because that was what the common language was across the Roman Empire. But those words were inspired by God the Holy Spirit, each and every one of them. All right, anyway. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. But know this first of all, a big priority here, what? That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. But, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Nothing that is written in God's word was ever written because of an act of human will. In other words, Paul, wasn't like just Paul woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to put these things down because, you know, this seems like a good thing for me to write about. Uh-uh. None of, no scripture, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But notice this, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. You see it? They spoke from God. In other words, God spoke, and then they wrote down or spoke what God had told them to do. We see this all the time, by the way, in the Old Testament. You know, we'll see Isaiah, and, and, and he goes to the, the Lord says, Who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, Send me. And then so many times he, he says, the Lord says, Go and tell this people something. And then that's what Isaiah does. Okay? It's from God. These words are from God. Okay. So when you look at it that way and you go back to our passage today in 1 Corinthians 14, you have to say, well, sure, a human being could be confused, but you know what? God is never confused. God isn't going to have Paul write something in verse 22 and then say, oops, I'm confused. Now I've got to fix it in verse 23. That is not happening. He never contradicts himself. So what does that mean? means that there's, even though it seems like it, there's absolutely no contradiction in, in verses 21 to 25. Now, I want to introduce something. You saw this last week, but I'm going to introduce a diagram that I hope will clear this up, okay? It's this. What am I talking about? Well, you know, we've seen today that Paul, talking about in the church, when the whole church is assembled. Paul says, when I'm in the church, I would rather speak five words in a language people understand with my mind than 10,000 in a tongue, right? Tongues are, tongues are not, for the, uh, not a sign for the unbeliever, but they're for the believer. Okay, if we all gather in the church and all speak in tongues, somebody from here that comes in is going to say, you guys are out of your mind. However, if, we're, if there's prophecy here, if there's the preaching of the word of God, which is there's supposed to be in the church, and an unbeliever then comes in, He's going to be convicted by the word of God, called to account. The point is, is that when you look at verses 21 to 25, you have to separate between what's he talking about that's outside and what's he talking about that's inside. Okay? So in other words, we know that tongues are a sign for the unbeliever, but that's outside. Unbelievers who are not even thinking about going into the church, they're just out here, but they're Jewish, and they get a sign, and they know that they need signs, and they know if they know anything, that this tongue's the sign of warning, then those who might be inclined to pay attention to that sign would come on in, because the sign basically says, warning, destruction ahead. If you want to avoid that, come on in here. Okay, but it's outside that tongues function in that way. Inside the church, no. So if you want to think about tongues, you have to distinguish. Is Paul now talking about tongues outside the church or in the church? With that understanding, let's look again at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 21 to 25. In the Lord is written, 
by men of strange tongues. And the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, the Jewish people. And even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now then, Paul says, just like Isaiah's time now and Paul's time, tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers outside. The tongues are for a sign out here. They're for a sign for Jewish unbelievers, a sign of warning. Prophecy is not for unbelievers, but what? For believers, to those who believe in here. Okay? Now let's go on. The key here is verse 23. What does it say? Therefore, now now verses 21 and 22 are talking about outside, Jewish unbelievers out here. Then all of a sudden he switches. Don't miss this. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church assembles together. Now we're back here. He's saying, over here, I want to tell you something. If the whole church is assembling, right, and then all speak in tongues in here. Now, we already know Paul says he doesn't speak in tongues in here. So if everybody in here is speaking in tongues, like the Corinthians would love to have seen, all right, what does he say? In the church, he says, if an unbeliever comes from out here in here, and now he's in the church, and you're all speaking in tongues, he's going to say, you guys are mad. You're out of your mind. Okay, because that's not the function of tongues. It's not supposed to be in the church. That's what he's saying. But if all prophecy were in the church, and then an unbeliever or an ungifted man comes on in, then what? He's convicted. He's coming outside. Maybe he heard the warning. Maybe he didn't. Mostly this would be Gentiles, by the way. This, this, that, that tongues were not a sign for the Gentiles, but only for the Jewish unbelievers, most of whom were hardened of heart. And we're rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. But whoever it is from the outside who comes on in in the church and hears not a babble of tongues, but instead prophecy in the, in the tongue that was common, the Greek language, they heard that, then they'd be different. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. It's all in here. So the key to understanding there's no contradiction is to understand that in verse 22, he's talking about out here. Verses 23 to 25, he's talking about in there. Make sense? Okay. All right. Another way to say this is is that there are two kinds of unbelievers. Right? You have hardened Jewish unbelievers... All right? Who do not have ears to hear. Now, if they don't have ears to hear and they don't want to hear the word of God, are they in the church? No, they're out here. Right? That's one kind. Hardened unbelievers over here. That's one kind. But then there's the other kind. All right? There's another kind of unbeliever. That's the one who would go into the church. They are willing to give at least some way, in some manner or fashion a hearing to what's going on in here. Two different kinds, totally different kinds of unbelievers. For one Verse 21 and 22 for the other, verses 23 to 25. All right. Another way to say this is that verses 21 to 22 address believers who remain outside the church. Verses 21 to 22. They remain outside the church. On the other hand, verses 23 to 25, come on now, address unbelievers who enter the church. Once you see that, it all gets cleared up. Okay. Oh, I get it. There's folks out there, they need tongues. They're not listening to prophecy. Then there's ones that come on in. They're ready to hear the word of God. They don't need tongues. They need prophecy. They need the word of God. 
So there's two kinds of unbelievers. If you don't see that, you'll miss the whole point. You'll think there's a contradiction. All right. Okay, in case you didn't get it the first three times, I'm only teasing. Repetition, repetition, repetition. The unbelievers in verses 21 to 22 are a completely different group from the unbelievers in verses 23 to 25. That's another way of saying it. I think you got it. All right, let's, let's go forward. Let's go to 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Let's go through this a little bit. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and the ungifted man or the unbelievers enter, by the way, that's plural, will they not say that you were mad? All right, let's bring it up to date. If the church assembles together and all they're doing these, these weird things now, or they're, or they're telling people that, you know, you have to be slain in the spirit in order to become a believer, or you have to walk down an aisle, or you have people that are just singing in a, in a song that you don't understand, the words you don't get, anything like that. If, if they have a, some speaker, right, that, that you, don't, you don't get why he's even there, right, they're going to say, what's going on in this place? But if all prophesy, if what's going on in the church is the word of God is being preached, if all prophecy, and then an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he's convicted by all, by all the prophecy. He's called to account by all the prophecy. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Now, verse 23, he is not recommending this. It was not going on in Corinth because not everybody had the gift of tongues. But he says, you think tongues are so great? Let's take it to an extreme. Paul is saying, what if everybody spoke in tongues at once? Now, here's the funny part. That was not going on in Corinth. (laughs) It's going on today. You go to these places and they're all speaking. They think it's a holy language and they're looking around to see who's speaking the holy language and who isn't. And they're saying, you're not in the in-group. Maybe you're not even a believer. Maybe you haven't reached the second stage yet because listen to us, you know. I'll listen to you. It's a cacophony. Like I mentioned before, if you've ever been to a symphony, it's like when they're warming up ahead of time and all it is is a bunch of noise. That's all the unbelievers are going to hear. I don't know why you think that's good. You know, it's not going to go over real well. With an unbeliever, they have no idea what's going on. They'll say, these people are nuts. The unbelievers, if we did, it would think that we had lost our minds. They do think that. That's not a weapon of evangelism. To have, to have people come on in that are unbelievers and see everybody wigged out on some foreign tongue that they think, and they're all speaking it. They're all looking at each other, and they're all so holy and all of that. The unbeliever's scared. He wants to get out of there as soon as he possibly can. These people are crazy. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Now, in the first century, you've got to understand that the Gentiles in Corinth, you know, they, they were really familiar with pagan worship. In fact, there were temples all over the place dedicated to false gods, like Dionysus and Apollo and all the, all the things you studied in, in the myths. Remember that mythology? Well, they're definitely myths, okay? But the fact of the matter is they were worshiping false gods when they were doing that. And what was going on there is that they did whip themselves into a frenzy. They did make sounds and crazy stuff. So the the unbelievers walking into the church in Corinth and thinking, well, is this any different? And if they're all speaking in tongues, he's going to say, no. These Christians are the same as the worshipers in the pagan temples. If I want this, I might as well go to a pagan temple. If I want a rock and roll show, 
I might as well go into the BB&T center. Why do I have to go into a church for that? Right? If I want somebody to give me a self-help lesson, why would I go into the church? There's all kinds of people out there. Tony Robbins and all I'll get that from them. I don't need the church. You see it? That's the modern equivalent. All right. The point is, is that in our day and age, we do have tongues, but most people understand that that's not the right way to worship. However, a lot of churches today think having a basically a rock concert is a way to worship with smoke and all. You, you think I'm kidding. Maybe you haven't been to one of these. I've been to these services. All right. The music is loud and garish and there's, you know, this and that. And then somebody comes out in a in a Batman costume and says that, you know, Batman worships Jesus. And everyone's like, yeah. Batman worship Jesus, you know, and that kind of stuff. I don't, it's crazy. I would say that they're out of their mind with respect to the word of God and why they're supposed to be there. Motivational speakers. This is big in the church today. Motivational speakers. That's what they are. Live your best life now. That's a motivational, motivational speaker. Okay. Or dramatic renditions, you know. Plays on stage. There's people, there's churches that have dance on stage. Now, at least the play, people are speaking words. But if you're doing dance, how do, let me ask you this. Is this the, I can't dance, but I want you to say, how effective would I be getting the gospel message across, okay, if I was doing this? Did you get it? You get it now? All right. Go out and live your best life now, everybody. No. That won't save anybody. That won't build anybody up. I want to be crystal clear about this. All right? Yes. Am I calling to account pastors and churches that do that? Yes, I am. Because the purpose of the church is to build up the believer in the Word of God and to preach the gospel to the unbeliever. That's what the church does that nobody else can do. That's what we're called to do. Preach the Word in season out of season, with great patience and instruction for the time will come, 2020, when people no longer want to have that. They don't want to hear that. They don't, they don't, want, they don't care about sound doctrine. They want to have their ears tickled. But he says, church, you may not be popular. Right? You may have people that walk in and walk out, but you stick to what the Word of God has to say is the purpose of the church. By the way, these kind of churches, you will never hear any preaching on sin or judgment. Never. Oh, no, we might lose people if we do that. You know, that's really too uncomfortable, you know, for our church. We're the, we're the church that God loves and built. Love built this church. And we know that, boy, talking about sin is not loving to us. And talking about judgment, my goodness, you know. It's too uncomfortable. It's, in the modern language, triggering. You know what that is? People hear a person's name now and they're triggered and they have to leave. <laughs> but in any event, in any event, right? But church needs to talk about sin and judgment to the unbeliever especially. Because that's the deal. We're, we are giving the words that will save them, their life itself. But the question that the unbeliever has to ask is, save from what? I'm living my best life now. Why do I need a savior? You know what I'm saying? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that they don't know. <laughs> they don't know until they're told that we're all born sinners, that all fall short of the glory of God, that none of us can ever make a case before God that we've lived up to his standards. 
that we've never said anything, done anything, or thought anything that was against God. Let me tell you something. I'm a believer in Christ. I've been a believer for a long time. I'm in his word all the time. I still do things, say things, and especially think things that are ungodly. Now, you can walk out now if you want and say, my gosh, that's, I, I don't want that guy teaching me. He's evil. He may not even be a believer. No, I'm a believer, but you're certainly a hypocrite. We all fall short, especially unbelievers, but even us now. Till the day we die, we have fleshly bodies, sin is in the members of our body, and we're going to fall for that. We're going to succumb to those temptations from time to time. But we don't like it, and we know that the Holy Spirit's at work in us, and he who began that good work will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We have hope about the sin problem. Unbeliever doesn't. Needs to be told that. So, you know, so, hey, we're not going to talk about sin. We're not going to talk about judgment, you know. We're not going to talk about changing or any of that stuff. We're going to be making things comfortable. We're going to stay on the safe side. We'll have stirring testimonies that are emotionally satisfying. We'll have celebrity speakers that will make the people feel special. We'll have emotional appeals and healing services even. All of that. But not the preaching of the gospel. Not the teaching the people the word of God. Verse 24. If all prophesy and an unbeliever prophesy, remember, is nothing more or less than speaking the word of God. Okay? And an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters and hears that. He's convicted by all that is being said and sung and prayed. He's called to account by all of these messages. He's, the secrets of his heart are even disclosed as never before. And so he'll fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. All right, let's... So again, in verses 23, he takes tongues to the logical extreme. What would that be like? Well, in verses 24 to 25, he does the same thing, only now with prophecy. What if they held a worship service where everybody spoke the word of God? Okay, not at the same time, by the way. <laughs> in sequence, okay. What if that was the nature of the, of the service? What if, what if some preached the word? What if all of, well, we all sang the word, which is why you know it's a pet peeve of mine, that the lyrics of the song should be biblical, okay? What if others, by, what if the prayer is about the gospel and about who, who we are in Christ? Now, if an unbeliever entered that service, what could happen then? Well, this is what could happen. I want you to go back to chapter 12 and remember this, that all spiritual gifts are manifestations of who? The Spirit, God, yes, but the Spirit in particular. That was true in the first century. The prophets were, were manifesting something of the Spirit. It's true today. Meaning that the idea of a preacher is to be able to prepare a message, but then be open to the promptings of the Spirit so that it's also a manifestation of the Spirit. Now, why do I say that? Well, because, you see, the Spirit would be directing the prophets then and hopefully the pastors now to address that man's situation. You see, 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 if we're thinking about others and we're here, like I'm here for me and I want to be built up by the word of God today, right? But I'm up here and all of a sudden I see somebody I've never seen before. And not, I'm not saying, and, and, and may, I don't know, by, by the way, I don't know anybody's believer or not. But in particular, I want to be sensitive to somebody who's here for the first time. All right? So the Spirit would direct me to address that person's situation. What that means is that the preaching, 
the singing and the praying would bring forth the word of God that the unbeliever needed to hear. Maybe we didn't need to hear it, or by the way we do, but especially the unbeliever. Now, what would that be? What would be the word of God that that unbeliever walking into the church worship service need? Come on, guys, you know. The gospel. This ain't complicated, folks. He needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, or as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross. He needs to know about the cross. He needs to know why God's son had to die. He needs to know that that means he's a sinner, that he was born a sinner, and that he has, you have evidence that you're a sinner by your deeds, by your words, and by your thoughts. All right. He needs to hear that. If he doesn't hear it in the church, he's certainly not going to hear it out there. He's certainly not going to watch a Carnival Cruise commercial and realize that he's a sinner. Well, maybe actually at a certain point when he's there, he might. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's certainly not the commercial, right? No. I mean, everything about the world screams you, you know, or I, you know. It's, it's all about me. I mean, people, it's amazing. I mean, companies say that. It's all about you, you know. You know. Yeah, tell me more. That's what I like, right? That's why preachers who do the same thing have big, massive audiences, right? It's all about you and your comfort and how you feel and, you know, and all your problems are going to be solved if you become a Christian. Anybody who's a Christian today, I want you to raise your hand if you've never had any problems for the last year. No hands? How about last month? No problems? How about in the last week? How about today? <laughs> if, you didn't raise, if you raised your hand for today, it just means you haven't woke up yet. <laughs> All right? Anyway, yeah. Okay, that's what they need to hear. The word of the cross. Now, what does it say in 1 Corinthians 1.18? If you'd please go there, you'll, we'll see this together. The word of the cross. Why would it need to be preached if an unbeliever entered a church service? Notice we're using 1 Corinthians for all this. Most of it, anyway. 1 Corinthians 1, first chapter, verse 18. Paul's already, in other words, covered this. This is of first importance, last importance, all importance. What is it? 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is foolishness. Foolishness. After all, if, if you are looking for wisdom, a Greek... You know, wisdom, human wisdom says, God's powerful. And of course he is, okay? And any manifestation of God, now they had, you know, gods that looked human, by the way. They, it's all a lie, it's all mythology, okay? But I'll tell you something. The Greek mythology never had God's son go and die on a cross for the sins of the world. You see, wisdom's never going to get you there, okay? no. For those who are perishing, for those who have made the decision, I'm turning away. I don't want to hear what God has to say. I'm perishing. Therefore, that that message about the cross and about the gospel, and that's foolishness to me. You know, I want a king who's powerful. I want I want somebody who's going to wipe out any enemies that I have and all of that. I don't want somebody dead on a cross. Foolishness. However. To us who are being saved, what is the cross? The word of the cross. 
power of God. Some of those unbelievers who would enter into that church and hear the word of, of, of the cross would be blown away by the power of God. It would change everything. They'd be convicted. They'd be called to account. They would fall on their knees and worship the living God. Power. What is it that's powerful? The amperage for the guitar? No. The, the, the power of, of motivational speech. The power of the emotional appeal that you're getting. Woo! That was, that was a powerful emotional service today, man. I'll tell you what. What's the power? The word of the cross. Of the cross. See, this is why it's so important that our song lyrics be richly biblical. And they are. And, that, and also that the preaching would be centered around the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayers, our fellowshipping should all be centered. The center of all that is Christ and his death and resurrection. I mean, I, when I studied the New Testament, actually the whole Bible, especially the New Testament, everything centers around the death and resurrection of Christ. Everything. And so should our worship service. Look at verse 22 of chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Just go forward a few verses. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. There it is. That's why they were given the sign of tongues. Greeks search for wisdom. What goes on outside the church, the worldly wisdom, the kind of wisdom that people today are seeking out of a political party or or guru, or the, the bookshelves of Harvard University, you know, human wisdom, you know, a step in time saved nine. It might work in certain contexts, but that's, come on now, that's the wisdom of the world, you know, step on a crack and break your mother's back, you know. No, we're not going to get that. The wisdom that we need is not from the world, right? What is it? He says, we preach Christ crucified. We stand up and the first thing we want people to know about us is that our Savior was crucified on a cross, died for our sins. That's the first thing. Not the last thing. You know, it's the first thing. It's the first thing people need to know. It's the first thing that they need to see that surrounds them when they come here. The word, the singing, everything about us is that we've been saved by a crucified and risen Lord. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. That's not the sign they were looking for. Jesus told them, you will get no sign except the sign of Jonah, who was three days in the belly of a whale. That's not the sign they wanted. To the Gentiles, foolishness. You kidding me? I'm not going to worship some guy who died on a cross. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, those who hear the word and believe it, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. We preach Christ crucified. He is the power of God. He is the wisdom of God. Please go back to chapter 14, verse 24. (laughs) So if the worship service is full of saints preaching the gospel singing lyrics about the death and resurrection of Christ, praying for an unbeliever to receive the word of God and believe it, what can happen? Well, what do we just see? When the word of God is spoken, what is it? The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, 
It is the power of God in the word. Not in the strength of our emotional appeal. Okay? Not in the charisma of the pastor. The word of God itself. If it's richly preached and richly sung and richly prayed, things can happen because that's where the power is. You take that out of the church, church has no power. You might as well go down to the street to a movie theater or turn on your television. Okay? If the word of God's not there, there's no power. Well, what's it for? Turn to Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16. Remember now, unbeliever enters service rich in the preaching of the gospel, singing the words have to do with the death and resurrection of Christ. We pray according to the, the death and resurrection of Christ. We honor Him. We pray. We thank, give thanks that He died for us and so forth. A rich, richly content, rich content of the Word of God, particularly the gospel. Okay? That's the power, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is, there it is, the power of God for what? Salvation. Salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If a Jewish person came in, realized what the sign was saying, and came on into church to give the message of hearing, there's the power of God if the gospel is preached. If, if an unbeliever is Greek, Gentile, and they come in, the power of God is for their salvation. If they, if they believed. When the gospel is preached in all aspects of the service, the power is magnified and that power is for salvation of souls. Never forget that. When we come together, it's yes, are we to be built up? Yes. Is that really the main purpose of being in church? Absolutely. But we also, also have to be sensitive to the needs of the unbeliever. Because what we say, what we preach and sing, if it's gospel, there's power for their salvation. All right. And keep in mind that the Holy... I won't have time for this now, but the Holy Spirit, by the way, is at work. It's not just we, what we say here because the Holy Spirit is working to convict, convict unbelievers they need a Savior. Okay, if you want to see that later, it's John 16, 8 to 11. Don't go there now in the interest of time. So the preaching has to convict sinners of their need for a Savior. Okay? By the way... If you want to learn more about what the kind of material that the unbeliever needs to hear to realize they need a Savior, I'm going to tell you something. You can learn a lot about that in Romans 1, 18 to 324. Again, we're not going there now. But if you say, I want to know more about the kind of material that needs to be presented to the unbeliever in order for them to realize they need a Savior. Okay, it's this section. It's Paul's court case against the human race. And he ends up by saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay. All the world's lips would be shut up. And yes, that's important. But ultimately, never forget, our particular role is to preach the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. That's what the unbeliever needs to hear. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Of Christ. Now you may ask, what's the gospel? Good question. As we close today, please turn First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse twenty-four. No, First Corinthians fifteen, verse one. If all preach the gospel and an unbeliever enters, he's convicted, he's called to account, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. What's the gospel? 
1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. All right, these are basics, but you really need to have this solid that you can, you can if, some, if you have an unbeliever and you have a Bible, or even if you don't, maybe especially if you don't, you know exactly what you have to preach. Look, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Paul says, I made known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I've already preached to you, which you have received, and you stand in it, and you're saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. By the way, in context, that's saying if you believe not only in the death of Christ, but also his resurrection. What's the gospel? Verse 3. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now you might say, well, of course. I know that. I've heard that. Let me tell you something. There's churches all over the place that use the word gospel. They have no idea that this is the real God. They'll talk about a social gospel. They'll talk about all kinds of different gospels. Okay? There's only one. It's contained in two verses. But make sure you know that so you won't be fooled by any of this other gibberish. It's that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. It's simple, isn't it? Well, as a matter of fact, it's so simple a child can understand it. Isn't it? God loved us. He sent his son. He died for our sins. He was buried. That's, you know, buried. Yes, I get it. Death and burial. And then he was raised from the dead on the third day. Can you picture a child, how excited that child would be to realize that, wow, God gave his son. He died for us. He was buried. That means that's over. And it wasn't over. God raised him from the dead. And we have the privilege of making this known to unbelievers. All right. All right. Well, I got some more material. What is it? Uh, all right. I guess. Uh, all right. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 24. Let's finish up. First Corinthians 14, 24. Hang in there. I know it's a lot. But I really need to show you things that you might be wondering about, that, that people can interpret wrongly and get you off in the wrong direction, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, 24. If all prophesy, speak forth the word of God, sing it. And an unbeliever or ungifted man enters. He's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. He will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Well, you might read that and say, well, look at that. His secrets are, are, are disclosed. Hmm. That means everybody knew him. No. This doesn't mean that the saints knew the secret sins of the unbeliever and confronted him with them. That's what a lot of Christianity says. That's the gospel. There's one out there that's, that says you have to do this. And I don't know. Never mind. But they say that that's what you have to do. You have to find out what their sins are and confront them with it. Or even better, you have to have the gift of discernment. And even without them, you say, I know your sins. You, know, like you look at a 15-year-old and you say, I know you've lost it in your heart against those young ladies. Wow, you're a genius. <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. That's not, that's just not what this is talking about. It's not that the saints knew the secret sins at all. You know, if you look in the book of Acts, and you look at every time somebody's saved, 
It's never because Paul or anybody else declared anybody's specific sins. Never. It's all based on the word of God preached, the gospel. And by the way, I've mentioned this a couple of times, so I'll just mention it one more time. When it says by all, convicted by all, called to account by all, the all is just the cumulative effect of all the prophesying. All of the word of God they're hearing. It adds up to them being convicted and called to account. That's all. He's to be called to account, by the way. Realize you're a sinner. That's why I was saying. Understand that the point, first of all, is that they realize they're a sinner and that they're accountable to God. And there's nobody in this world that can make a case that they've never done, said, or thought anything that went against God. They need a savior. Verse 25, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. So he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Some get the wrong idea here. They say, you know, if you, if you, you think you're preaching the gospel and they ain't falling on their face and worshiping God, there's something wrong with you. No. What it's saying here is in that day and age, falling on his face was a sign of worship. It doesn't mean, there's no scripture in the Bible that says, if you believe the gospel and fall on your face, you will be saved. No. Come on. By the way, this doesn't always happen. Some people get the wrong idea. You know what? If the word of, all I got to do is preach the word of God, and this will always happen. It won't always happen. We know that. But I'll tell you what else. It cannot happen if the word of God is not preached. It's not, the gospel's not preached. A lot of people are out there preaching, we talked about this, different gospels, you know, that ask Jesus into your heart or commit your life to Jesus or repent of all your sins. That's not going to save a blessed soul. The thing that saves people is to know they're a sinner and realize that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. That's what saves people. Okay. Secrets of his heart not disclosed to the congregation. That's why these people that get up there and they have these uh, confessions before everybody. No, that is not, it's not that we're not supposed to know everybody's sins. Can you imagine? I would never have a good day. You know, and every time I saw you from there forward, you know what my flesh would be doing. <laughs> yeah. No, we're supposed to all be new creation, new creatures in Christ. That's how we're to greet each other and live together. They're not disclosed to the prophet, No. This just means that they're disclosed to the sinner. Finally, he becomes aware of the sinfulness, the overwhelming sinfulness in his own heart. There's nothing he can do about it. And, of course, he's surprised, right? You know, have you ever been with an unbeliever and you're telling them they're a sinner and then they realize with the cumulative impact of the word, they're like, oh, my goodness, I am. I'm a sinner. And you're right. There's nothing I can do about it. I'll wake up tomorrow morning and I'll have those same thoughts. Nothing I can do about it. Me, myself, and I. Now, he might say, wow, you got a special power because I saw that. No. Oh, yeah, I do, but not the ability to look into your heart. See, there's somebody who does look into his heart. And that's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit looks into the hearts of people. And convicts them of that stuff. Not us. Okay, don't get the wrong idea. The word of God discloses the secrets of the heart. Okay, we don't have time now, but you can read it in Hebrews 14, 12 to 13. I'll read it for you now. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. 
The word of God. This is the power. The word of God is piercing of both joints and marrow and able to judge. This is the key. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. Only God can do that. The word of God. There is no creature hidden from God's sight. Doesn't mean our sight. God's. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It is simply the preaching of God's word that leads the unbeliever to conclude that God is certainly present in the assembled church. And that's the only thing that will. All right, I know I gave you a lot of information today. I, I hope you, there's, gen, there's a main point here, which is that's the word of God that's powerful. That church is supposed to preach the word of God and everything that they're doing. It should be Christ-centered, gospel-centered. And that's what will convict the unbeliever and have them call to account the thing that we want, we don't realize the power that we have. We don't realize the power that we keep on the sidelines when we don't preach the word of God, when we don't tell people the gospel, when we have song lyrics that are not from the Bible and so forth. Okay. I hope you got that. If not, you know, we post up every message on, the, on our website so you can go back and listen again if you wish. Also, all the slides that they are there. Uh, not in the video, but just separately, so you can just go back and review if you want to do that. And then after service today, I will be here up front for any questions that you have. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, I want to, we thank you today, actually, for the attentiveness and the patience of the congregation to hear the word of God that you have provided today for all of us. And we do, Father, in our prayer, also want to once again Bring forth the gospel in gratitude that you did send your son because we're all sinners. And he went to the cross and died for the sins of the world, for all our sins. He was buried and we know from the word of God that our sins were buried with him. And you raised him from the dead on the third day so that whoever believes in the death and resurrection of your son will never perish but have eternal life. And we thank you, Father, for your amazing grace. And Father, we do today also ask, and we know that you will, you can't resist this kind of prayer, that you will be there to stand and, be, and comfort anyone who's in affliction today, especially the believer in Christ. And we just ask too, Father, that, um, that we would, through our suffering, um, be brought closer to you, become more aware of what matters, more aware of your overwhelming love and grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, Thursday evening, every Thursday, we have a Bible study at 7 o'clock here. It's over, it's over there in the room where we serve refreshments in the morning. Please come if you can. Uh, we do something different there. It's informal. You can ask questions, make observations. Every week somebody points out a scripture that I hadn't put in the notes that, that is right on target. Because we're all, we're all you know, gifted by the Spirit in different ways. So please join us. It's a different subject. Okay? It's the amazing truth of the fact that we're eternally secure when we believe in Christ. That nothing will ever happen to us, done by us. There's nothing in this world or anywhere else that can ever separate us from the love of God. Ever again. Okay. All right. Um, that's about it. We do, when we, when we gather together on Thursdays, we pray. And so if you have any prayers, prayer requests for us, please give them to us. So you, there's a box in the back. You can write them out if you have good handwriting, that is. Otherwise, you can go on our website and there's a thing on the homepage where you can click that and type it. Okay? 
If you, if you have bad handwriting and you can't type, I guess you're out of luck. <laughs> no. We'll figure it out one way or the other. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you once again for all your good gifts. We thank you that gathered together your family today. And that we, uh, we thank you that you've given us the ability to understand your word when it's preached. And Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the unbelievers that you bring into our lives. That we're equipped to handle the situation. That we can, now that we're secure in what the gospel is, now we can relax and be attentive to that other person's situation. We can speak with grace. We can preach the word of God. We may not have to just, we won't have to jam it down their throats. It's part of who we are. And we'll be able to bring the gospel and marry it up with their situation. So we would ask for the ability to do that. And thank you for the, for the grim believers you'll bring into our lives. Help us be bold. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen.